If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be continuing back in our series through um, the book of Philippians today. We've got four more weeks after this week. So if you have not memorized a paragraph yet, you've got four weeks. So get going and memorize one of these paragraphs from this book of the Bible. This series is titled Rejoicing in What Matters. And a few weeks ago, we were in the, the first half of this chapter, verses 1 through 11, and a little bit of a recap of that so we can situate ourselves in verses 12 through 16 today. It was this, uh, my spiritual resume, apart from Jesus, is worthless, right? I, I don't st- want to stand before the Lord someday in my own attempts at righteousness because that's, that's insufficient in order to reconcile us to a holy God. By grace, through faith in Jesus, he saves us, right? He, he justifies us. That means he declares us in a moment not guilty of our sin and counts Christ's righteousness, his perfect record of obedience as ours. And now, now, I want to know him. So this week, a little bit of a warning. We're going to be talking about Christian effort today. Um, Why do I warn you? Because sometimes we bristle at that. Like our grace meter just goes off. And we're like, wait, it's all by grace. It's all by grace. What do you mean effort? All right. You want me to do things? I just want grace, all right? So remember, remember, as we go through this, we don't earn anything from God, right? The Christian life is opposed to earning. We can do nothing to earn his favor. It is truly all by grace through faith, but the Christian life is not opposed to effort. In fact, we're gonna see today, we're called to strenuous effort. We don't, Work, though, for grace. We work from grace. Our our effort overflows from having truly grasped the beauty and the scope and the gift of God's amazing grace. So hold on to that as we go through this. All right, Uh, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Actually, let's back up a little bit and let's start reading in verse 7 this morning. It says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him by not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And now the verses for today, verse 12, not, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, sisters, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, 
straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. All right, this whole section, this whole section is athletic imagery. I love it. It's this picture of running a race. Okay, running, running is difficult without a goal, right? Without something out ahead. I've found this in conversations with many of you that run or jog or shuffle. Um, I found that a lot of you like to schedule a race out in the future. Because this is what that does. It gives you something to work towards. It gives you a goal that you can keep your eyes on. Because if you're not actively pursuing something in your running and in your training, um, chances are that eventually you're going to stagnate and you're going to start going backward and it may even eventually lead to you quitting altogether. And so having some type of race out there, some type of goal, even if it's just a participation award or a, or a paper or plastic medal or some food or beverage that you get at the end of the race, it's nice because that's my goal. I've got my eyes fixed on what I'm working towards. Paul, in this section of scripture, is saying, my eyes are on a goal. I am running towards something. And that something is, I want to know Christ. And so I'm going after that prize. And I'm going to trust God for my righteousness, but then I am going to pursue it. I'm going to pursue him. All right, let's jump in. Verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Look down at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul here, right at the beginning of this is saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not. I want to know Jesus. I want to become more like him, but I haven't arrived at a place of perfection yet. Okay. Newsflash, in case this is new to you, we aren't perfect either, right? Uh, I hear a lot of times people talking about the church, and they're like, the church is just filled with so many hypocrites. Yep. (laughs) Yes, we are, because we're not perfect, right? Scripture teaches us that we have not, and we will not arrive at spiritual perfection in this life, okay? The Apostle Paul is here. I mean, the Apostle Paul is here. 30 years into his walk with Jesus, writer of scripture, and he's saying, I haven't arrived. So let's just be honest. If Paul hasn't arrived, then you probably haven't either. In the words of our Canadian neighbors to the north, sorry, we aren't perfect. We are all in process. Now, now one day, believers, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be glorified. He will perfect us. It will be done. But that is not yet. Right now, we are, we are being sanctified. 
we are being made holy, okay? By God's spirit, we are being made into his image, little by little by little. We're growing spiritually. All right, look down here again. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Whoa, press on. The word here that was translated press on means to move rapidly, decisively, and energetically towards a goal. It means to passionately pursue after a goal. To do what? To make it my own. To take hold of it. What? Well, in the paragraph before this, we, we saw what the what is that he's trying to take hold of. It's knowing Christ and becoming like him and growing in Christ-likeness. You're like, okay, why? Why press on to make it my own? Look down at that verse. It keeps going. It says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's like, I press on to know him and to become like him and to be in relationship with him. Why? Because that because is so important. He's saying, I'm motivated to pursue my current sanctification because of my justification. We don't earn, but rather we expend effort to know the one who earned it all on our behalf. He has made me his own. He has taken hold of me so that I will seek now, I will seek to make him my own and to take hold of him, okay? So this section summarized is this, Jesus pursues us and he saves us so that we would joyfully spend our lives passionately pursuing him. Are you doing that? Let's keep going. He says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I don't consider that I have yet made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul's like, I got, I got one thing that I'm doing. This goes all the way back to chapter one where it says, where it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's like, I've got a, I've got a single-minded pursuit. And just like Paul, he's like, there's one thing, and then he gives us two things. Forgetting and straining forward. But don't, don't think of those things as two completely separate things. Okay, they're really, they're really two sides of the, of the same coin. Two sides of the, of the pursuing Christ coin. Okay, so first you've got forgetting, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting anything that would impede or hinder his progress in the faith, his growth in knowing Christ and becoming like him. So this means 
forgetting all of those things that he listed back at the beginning of chapter three, right? Past, past failures, forgetting past pain and regret, along with past successes, past attempts at self-righteousness, and even past glory and growth, right? This is the idea of not getting stuck back in the good old days, right? When I think of this, I think of that guy that every conversation you have with him, he finds a way to bring up the fact that in third grade, he, was the, he had an MVP performance during the Little League Championships kind of thing. And you're like, oh my goodness, are we talking about this again? You're 45, your shoulder hurts when it rains, and I don't think you could make it around the bases anymore. You've got to move on, man. Like, that's what I think of in this. Now, hear me. This doesn't mean that we don't deal with our past. This doesn't mean that we, we have to wipe away everything from our memory. In fact, across scripture, repeatedly, God tells us to remember certain things. This doesn't mean we don't learn lessons from our history, okay? This is a, this is a focus. It's a perspective thing. In our pursuit of the Lord, we've got to forget those things that would paralyze us that would keep us from moving forward, that would tempt us to quit, that would tempt us to to think that we've already somehow arrived at a sufficient level of spiritual maturity. Okay, uh, runners know this in a couple ways. Uh, First, uh, there's this saying when you run that runners have to have a short memory, all right? What do we mean by that? We mean this. So imagine you're in a marathon, 26.2 two miles. You're like, Nate, I can't ever fathom a time in my life where I would be in a marathon. Just work with me here. Imagine 26.2 miles you're in, and let's say you hit mile seven, and all of a sudden you hit a wall. Just boom. Maybe you didn't manage your your nutrition rightly along the way. Maybe you didn't take enough water or too much water, and now you have side cramps. Maybe you slowed down to allow that family of geese to cross the road in front of you. Uh, maybe you step on a rock and you roll your ankle and you feel like that's it, the whole race is gone. I might as well just quit. I did this one time in a race. I came out of the gates too fast because I was living in the glory days and I was trying to keep up with the people that were at the front of the race and about halfway through, like I had nothing left. So I just stopped. I just quit. I just walked. And then I I text Amy and I was like, hey, I'm done. And she goes, ooh, that was mature. (laughs) It was not my finest moment, but we can't do that, right? Why? Because there's a prize that we want at the end of this race. There's a goal that I'm pursuing. So if, if I am stuck in mile seven, I will never reach that goal. I won't strain forward. And so you have to have a short-term memory. You have to say, okay, okay, forget mile seven. All right, what am I gonna do next? One foot in front of the other. I'm focusing on mile eight. I need to up my pace by 10 seconds a mile so I can, so I can pick up the time that I lost. I need to think about the way that I'm approaching the next aid stations. My eyes are on the prize. I'm moving forward and not backward. Okay, the other, the other aspect 
that runners get in this is we have to realize that we can't look around or back at the other runners, right? Either to, either to make myself feel better because of where I'm at in the race compared to them or because I'm worried about how close they're getting to me. Uh, this happened when I was in middle school. I was at a friend's house and he's like, hey, let's have a race on our bikes. I'm like, okay. He goes, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna leave my house. We're gonna go around the neighborhood two times. We're gonna come back here and whoever gets to my driveway first wins. Go. So I took off. So I'm pedaling as hard as I can do it. I'm going. He's behind me. I'm out in front. I come to that first turn. I look over. There's no cars coming this way. So I lean into that turn and I'm still pedaling through the turn. And I thought, I'm going to look back and see where he's at. So I look back to see where he's at. And right when I look back to see where he's at, I go, wham. And I slam right into the back of a parked car. And I, I actually fly up over the handlebars and I hit the glass on the back of this vehicle, like face and everything. And I'm 35 years removed from this and I can still kind of feel the pain. And I'm laying there going, oh, that hurt. Don't cry, don't cry, he'll see you. And all of a sudden he just comes whizzing by. He doesn't even glance at me. He's like, he's out of the race. I'm seizing the day. But you see, I got myself into a problem spot because I was more concerned about what he was doing and I had lost my focus on what was ahead. Um, John chapter 21, we see this with Jesus and Peter. This is after Jesus' resurrection. It's before his ascension and he's having this conversation with Peter about Peter's love for him and how Peter is gonna follow him and what lies ahead for Peter. And he tells him, he says, you're gonna die for following me. You're gonna, you're gonna die for my sake. And he actually predicts this crucifixion martyrdom for, for Peter. In verse 19, Jesus says, it says this, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter immediately, it says, Peter turns and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Here's John following along at a distance. And Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? Like, is he gonna die for his faith too? Do you have any predictions for him? What's going on, What's going on with John? And Jesus said to Peter, if it's my will, that he should remain until I come again. What's that to you? Amen. You follow me. Amen. You pursue me. Listen, this is not a comparison game. This is not a, I'm not growing as fast as, as they are or Wow, I'm pursuing the Lord so much better than they are. This is not, I don't know my Bible as well as they do. I don't have the time to pursue God like they do. It's easy for you to say, Nate, you get paid to know God. This isn't why do or don't they struggle. 
still with the sin issues that I'm struggling with. Jesus here is saying, you, pursue me. Run the race that I have sovereignly given you to run in this life. Eyes on me, eyes forward, forgetting, forgetting what lies behind. What repentance needs to happen in your life? What forgiveness do you need to extend? What conversations do you need to initiate? What gospel promises do you need to rehearse to yourself and cling to so that you can forget what lies behind and begin to strain forward? That takes us to this second side of the pursuit coin, which is straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward, it it means exerting effort in pursuit of a goal, okay? So there's no such thing as a Christian lazy river. I love a good lazy river. They're amazing. Like you get a tube, you sit on that tube, you put a hat on if you're bald, because it'll burn. You put glasses on, you get your favorite beverage, And what do you have to do? Nothing. Like this river is gonna take me to my goal. And until then, I'm just gonna enjoy this journey. I'm just gonna soak up the rays. I'm gonna watch people as I float by. And that's it. Just, just cruising. That is not the biblical picture of the Christian life. We are called as Christians to, to a type of right, holy dissatisfaction with our growth and our knowledge of God. We are meant as Christians to always be going, I just need to grow. I just need to keep growing. I just need to know him more. I can't get enough of him. I want to look more like him. I want him more than anything else in my life. And this word straining is again this picture of a runner towards the end of a race who's leaning in, legs pumping, determined, eyes fixed on taking hold of the goal. Like, we are no longer going to look back as Christians. We're going to, we're not going to chase and pursue the things of my old life. Instead, I'm fixing my eyes daily on something better. A baptism is a beautiful picture of this. And we've got here at the end of the service, two people being baptized in this service. And there's three being baptized in the third service today, which is really cool. So if you wanna hang around for third service, check that out. But baptism is this beautiful picture of it. Like you are dead. You are buried to your old way of life. And now because of Jesus Christ, what? You are raised to walk in newness of life, not looking back, straining forward towards what? Look down at this passage again. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The ultimate prize is Jesus. Gaining him fully, knowing him completely, being in perfect fellowship with him and, and like him in every way that I, that I can. And listen, that is gonna happen at the end of the race. When he either calls us home or returns and we see him, we will enter into the fullness of relationship with Jesus Christ and know him. That's it. But, but not in this life fully. In this life is what we're meant to do is we're meant to forget and strain forward. We're meant to press on towards him. We're meant to keep our eyes fixed on that heavenly perspective as we navigate the difficulties of this life. And you might be like, well, Nate, if, if we're going to one day know him fully, and if I can't ever know him perfectly in this life, then why bother working so hard? Right? I mean, he saved me. I will never be perfect in this life. I'll never know him as much as I can. And then one day, he's going to perfect me, and then I'll know him completely. In eternity, a, a, a perfect relationship with Jesus, why bother working so hard? And I'd come back and I'd ask you a question back. I'd say, why wouldn't you? Hey, he is the greatest treasure. Nothing compares to him, nothing. He pursued us when we weren't pursuing him. He laid hold of us. And now across this life, I can increasingly know him and look like him. And I can live with, with hope and joy that's rooted in relationship with him. And I can spend my life spreading that hope to everyone else that'll listen. Yeah, one day he will call us home and we will perfectly know him. But right now, he's calling us upward. He's calling us to pursue him. And here's what's amazing, biblically. He tells us if we will do that, he will be found. He, he won't hide from us. We will know him increasingly and he will make us more and more like himself. Look down at verse 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Uh, mature there could actually be translated perfect, just like it was above. So it'd be like Paul saying, let those of us who are perfect realize that we're not perfect. <laughs> let those of us who are mature think like what I've just taught you. And if in anything you think otherwise, you disagree with me, Paul's like, God will reveal that also to you. I love it. He's like, I'm leaving you in God's hands. This is how you should be thinking. If you're not there, that's okay. You will be. He'll reveal that to you. 
Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He's saying, hold on to the progress you've already made. Don't go back. Don't look back. Keep moving forward. Um, after a hard race, sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to even walk the next day. Like you have trouble getting up. It's been a difficult season of, of training and racing. And what we wanna do is we wanna just lay in bed, but that's not good. Because if you just lay in bed in the immediate is what's gonna happen is your muscles are gonna start to cramp up. And there's just about no pain worse than like a calf or a toe cramp. <laughs> it's horrible. But if you continue to rest, if you're like, I'm just, that was so hard. I'm just gonna rest indefinitely is what's gonna happen is you're, you're gonna lose the good progress that you have made in your training and in your racing. And the best thing that you can do is you can get up and walk. And this says, this is such a beautiful picture for the Christian life even. I've got to get up and I've got to start moving forward again. And it can be slow and it's hard. At times it's grueling, especially walking up and down stairs. Oh. But you got to keep going. One step at a time. Forgetting straining forward, pressing on, eyes not fixed here on my pain, eyes not fixed here on my circumstances, eyes not fixed here on what's been behind, eyes fixed on the prize, the goal of knowing and loving and becoming like Jesus more and more and more in this life. Amen. So what does this even look like? I, I was thinking about this this week and I'm like, okay, you can, sometimes you can understand things biblically. Like you can see the big picture. I know what Paul is saying, but how does that translate to daily life? Like how do I even begin to evaluate the current quality of my pursuit of God and, and, and what I need to forget and how I need to, to grow in straining forward. So this week, I asked myself this question. This is something you could talk about in small group even. It's like if someone came in and did a thorough investigation of my life, they had access to everything currently, right now, and they were seeking to answer one question, what does Nate worship? Where, where's his focus? What does he seek after? Where's his awe? What is he passionately pursuing? What would they find? What would be their conclusion? Currently, currently, not five years ago, not yesterday, right now. Would they find a sport? Would they find a website, a vocation, a hobby, 
a social media platform, a beverage, a relationship, a person? Or would they find Jesus? Now ask yourself, okay, I want them to find Jesus. That's what I, that's what I hope. What needs to change? What needs to change? What needs to be forgotten so that you can pursue him? What do I no longer need to pursue so that I can pursue him? What do I need to lean into so that I can know more and more daily my savior? I hope this morning and every Sunday morning is to hold out to you the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Hear me. There's nothing better than Christ. Nothing. There is no pursuit in this life that even comes close to his eternal worth. I, I can't even begin to describe to you in words what it's like to in sweetness walk with our Savior day to day in relationship. You will find nothing else in this life that will satisfy like that. And I wanna call us as a church in the weeks and the months and by God's grace, the years ahead to the one thing, one thing, passionately pursuing the radiant God. And here's what's really cool. You don't do this on your own. Do you realize this? If you are a believer, you have the spirit of God in you and with you to help you. In fact, he is already that internal inspector. So you can say, Spirit of God, help me know what I'm worshiping in this life that's not you. Help me to know how to pursue you increasingly. Not only that, we have, we have God's word as our guide. Like God gives us his word to hold out to us daily what is most worthy of pursuit and how we walk in obedience to pursue him. And you also have God's people, God's people along, alongside of you. We're not perfect, we're in process. And something interesting too, maybe this is an area we can extend some grace to each other. Do, do you realize we're all in process in different places? We're growing in the Lord at different times in our lives. We're growing in the Lord at different speeds. We're go growing in the Lord, utilizing different disciplines in order to pursue him. But we're growing together. We're pursuing the greatest treasure together. Jesus pursued us and he saved us so that now we would get the, the joy of spending our lives passionately pursuing him. Ah, oh, 
the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you. Lord, we ask for your help. Um, Would you, by your spirit, would you show us those those things and those people and those activities in this life that we are pursuing more passionately than we pursue you? And would you, would you help us by your spirit and through your word and amongst your people, Lord, to increasingly forget Forget those things that would bog us down in our lives pursuing you, that would tempt us to, to quit, that would call our name to worship that aren't you. And would you help us to strain forward together and pursue you like we pursue nothing else, Lord. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for pursuing us when we were never pursuing you. Thank you for saving us, Lord. And thank you now for calling us to live new lives in pursuit of you by your spirit And Lord, we ask that you'd come quickly and that we would soon see you face to face when you will once and for all perfect us, Lord, and call us into a complete and perfect relationship with you for all of eternity. You are good and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.